Uh, we're in the middle of a series called The Church, and we're asking the question, what is the church? Why, is, why does the church exist? Who is the church? Who can come to church? And week one, we started with the church is the house of God. It's not your house. It's not my house. This whole place. And the number one primary goal of the church, because it's God's house, is for God's purposes. Last week, we said that the church was the body of Christ, that the church consists of many different and diverse parts, but together, put together, we're one body with Jesus as the head. Now, tonight, we'll look at a concept of the church is the bride of Christ, and it seems like a very unusual description of the church, but it's a description that continues to come throughout Scripture. Revelations 19.7, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. 2 Corinthians 11.2, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband to Christ so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But it's in tonight's passage from Ephesians chapter 5 where Paul talks about the bride of Christ, the church being the bride of Christ. Now, if you've ever been to a Christian wedding, you most likely have heard this passage, right? So let's start in 25. Husbands, love your wives. And all the wives said, Amen. Okay. They're not. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Pause. Notice the order. Notice the order here that Paul doesn't say to the Christians, hey, guys, look at Jesus and how he loves the church, he does it in the same way husbands love their wives. See, if that was the case, that would be rubbish. That would mean that Jesus would love the church, Jesus would be selfish, Jesus would forget anniversaries, Jesus would go out and play with his friends instead of staying at home to help the wife with the kids. But Paul makes sure that the order is correct, that the union between Christ and the church, being the bride of Christ, that is the model for marriage, not the other way around. Ephesians 35, sorry, 5, 31 to 32, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So many times we have heard this passage, and it's about marriage. It's about the man and the, the wife and, and, and how they're going to become one. But actually, you study it more and more, and it's actually more of a study of the relationship that Jesus has with his bride, which is the church. And it's that relationship that becomes the model for marriage. So the question we have to ask ourselves is this, what do we learn about Christ and his bride, the church? And this is the main point, one point tonight. 
Christ loves his bride. Christ loves the church. Right? At the end of the sermon, if I don't end there, then we've missed the point. We're going to end there, okay? We're going to just do a big U-turn and we're going to come back there, okay? Um, I've, I'm married, which is great. Um, I've been married for 14 years with my wife, Mel. Uh, we've been married for 14 years, best five years of my life. Yeah, right. Tough crowd. Usually the Chatswood crowd is better. 14 years of marriage teaches you a lot. It teaches you a lot about yourself. It teaches you a lot about that person. It teaches you a lot about marriage in itself, right? Um, And people come up to us and they say, wow, you know, it seems like you have a relatively healthy marriage. And I would say, and hopefully my wife would say too, that, yeah, I, I think we have a relatively healthy marriage. Therefore, after 14 years and five children, we're still together, right? Uh, but for most people that have been part of our journey, uh, you would know that it wasn't always like this. Um, and it wasn't Mel that was the problem. It was me. Um, many people that have done this journey would know that I've changed a lot. I've had to grow up a lot. Um, and people are like nodding at me. And I, I appreciate your honesty. But many would tell you that, you know, like I really, really was a poor, under-average, underwhelming husband, right? And I thought I need to illustrate this with a story. And I sat there for like honestly a few hours because there were so many stories I could have used. But here's one good one, and it's good because um, it involves my, my oldest son, Chris. Now, when my wife was pregnant with Chris, um, we had a, an appointment to go see our baby doctor at 30 weeks. Now, babies are born, for those that don't know, babies are born, they usually take about 40 weeks, right? So we're only about 75% of the way. Anyway, it was a Monday morning and my wife was like, oh, my stomach feels a little bit funny. Um, I don't know if I ate something funny. I don't know if I'm just constipated, you know, rah, rah, rah. And I said, yeah, all right, well, let's call the doctor. And so we called the doctor and the doctor said, um, you know, well, we're meant to meet at three o'clock at the clinic. Why don't you just come to the hospital? Because I'm going to be at the hospital, you know, we meet at the hospital. So, you know, just after two, we get in the car and we were living up in Pimble and there's two main roads that you can take to the hospital. Um, the first one is um, Epping Road, one of the uh, bedrocks of our society, Epping Road. Um, now, if you... If you go from my house to the hospital, straight down Epping Road, 15 to 20 minutes. That's not too bad, right? Um, But there's another road called the motorway, number two, right? Now, if I took the M2, it would only take me eight minutes, right? Now, at this point in time, about two o'clock, my wife is... She says she was in pain. I say she was in a small distress, the stories are a little bit different, right? But that's really important for you to understand that our, our views of this were a little bit different because, see, the problem with the M2 is as much as it's that much quicker, you have to pay a toll, $3.50, right? $3.50, that's a lot of money. 
All right? So looking at my wife, and I, and I made an executive decision. She, she's in slight distress. So I took Epping Road and saved myself $3.50 and bought myself a nice bottle of Coke. Now, the problem was this. We got to the hospital just after 3 and the baby was born at 4.30. And so if we, if we had been stuck on Epping Road, a few traffic lights, one car crash, you know, when people ask Chris, Chris, what hospital were you born in, he would have been able to say I was born in the hospital of Epping Road, <laughs> which would have been painful. That's the kind of husband I was. And I love my wife, but that's the thing. Humanity and the way we love is nowhere near the way that Jesus loves. And that's what this passage is showing us. Now, there are four ways that um, this passage describes how much Jesus loves the church. Number one, Christ gave himself for the church. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, what does it mean that he gave himself up for her? Literally, he means he laid it all down from heaven to earth. And not only did he come down from his seat from heaven to earth, he died on the cross. He literally died for the church. Jesus said, I love the church so much that I'm ready to do whatever it takes to redeem her. Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, husbands, I, you can tell me, I love my wife, I love my wife, I love my wife. But it'd be interesting to see if someone had a gun to your head and if it was a literal life and death situation, how many of our husbands here would joyfully give up their lives for their wife? I, my assumption, and this is just my own assumption, please don't read too much into it. I think a lot of the husbands would, but just not joyfully, begrudgingly, you know? Because if we didn't, then when we got to heaven, we would get hunted down. And that nagging would go for all of eternity. <laughs> you know, it's the, it's, it just never would end, right? And that's the thing. The depth of Jesus' love is shown in this, that he would lay down his life joyfully for his bride. That he was willing to die for her and did on the cross. Christ gave himself for the church. Number two, Christ leads the church. Verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and of which he is the saviour. Because Jesus loved his bride so deeply, he's willing to lead her to safety and security. Jesus always has the best intentions for the church because he loves the church. Jesus leads from the front. And that doesn't mean a, a masculine, a, a chauvinistic, macho kind of leadership that we see in, in the world. But as Jesus leads, he leads with gentleness. He leads with patience, always wanting to protect and provide for the church. 
This is how we see that Jesus loves the church. He leads the church. Thirdly, Jesus loves the church by nourishing the church. Verse 29, after all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. Christ feeds and cares for his bride. In the same way, you look after your own body. You wash your body when it gets dirty. You sleep when you get tired. You eat when you get hungry. In the same way, you look after your own self. Christ does for his church. In the same way you work out to be healthy, uh, in the same way you diet to be healthy, the same way you wake up and do your hair and put your makeup on, the way you dress, Christ is concerned of the health and well-being of the church. You know, sometimes we think that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sin. Done. He's done. He's going to go back to heaven. He's going to sit on his throne and just let things be. But that's not the case Christ is involved in the church because he loves the church. He cares about how healthy the church is, how well nourished the church is, how well fed the church is. The very needs of the church are on the heart of Jesus because he loves the church. Finally, Christ will present the church to himself at the end. Verse 26 to 27, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Christ's love for the church is so deep that he is concerned about the presentation of the church, how the church is presented. He's committed to the holiness of and blamelessness of the church. Now, we look at the church, and we look at the way that the church is presented, and it's not pretty. It's okay. I'm, I'm happy to acknowledge that. You know, in the church, there's so much brokenness, so much hypocrisy, so much sin. You know, 100% not denying that at all. But Christ... Even though the church is broken, even though the church is full of hypocrites, even though the church is full of sinners, Christ loves the church and he's committed to helping the church clean itself up. He's committed to helping the church become the bride that he desires, the perfect bride. And yes, we might not ever see or experience the perfection of what the church could be on this side of eternity. But there will be a day at the end where the church will be the bride that Christ deserves. One without stain, without wrinkle, without any blemish, but holy and blameless. And Jesus is committed to this. He's committed to the journey. This is how much Jesus loves his bride. Here's the big point. Jesus loves his bride unconditionally. He loves his church unconditionally. The church is on his mind. The needs of the church are on his mind. The way the church is presented is on his mind. And we see the depth of that love when we look at the cross. And when he died on the cross to save all sinners from their sin. We see that that is the depth of of love that Christ has for his bride. But the problem is, 
The problem is, even though that's the truth, we undermine that very fact. We undermine the very fact that Christ loves the church unconditionally. He loves his bride unconditionally to the point where he died on the cross. That's a fact. But for a lot of us, it's not truth. How do I know this? It's the way we treat the church. Jesus and the church are one, just like husband and wife. See, the thing is, right, if you love the groom, you have to love the bride. Yet there are so many people that they say that they love Jesus and they treat the church like rubbish. If, you're, if you come up to me, oh no, sorry, if you, if you go up to my wife and you're rude to my wife, right? That's the same pretty much as insulting me, right? Like you can't come up to me and start complaining about, you know, who my wife is. You, you just get either a cold shoulder or, you know, a taste of my fist, depending on how big or small you are, Right? If you love Jesus, you must love the church. Why? Because you love Jesus. It's logic. You know, my wife loves eating at cafes. I'm getting there. You know, I now go to cafes and I don't complain about why I'm eating a burger that's double the price of McDonald's. All I'm thinking is I could have just eaten two McDonald's burgers, right? See, the things of the people that I love, that they love, I've got to love. I've got to come on board. But the problem is, we don't. We don't. And so I want to finish, I want to encourage us by finishing with, well, how do we love the church? Right? How do we, how do we love the bride of Christ? Because Jesus loves his bride. How do we love that? How do we practically implement that in our lives? Now, when couples come over and they talk about their marriage and one of the, one of the questions that always comes up is, well, you know, I don't feel loved. I don't feel appreciated. Okay? And for those, don't, don't look at each other. We'll deal with that at the marriage conference, guys. Right? One of the practical tools that we use is what is called the five love languages. Uh, a gentleman named Dr. Gary Chapman, uh, he identified five ways that love can be given and received in, married, uh, in, in marriage and also then became sort of other relationships as well. Uh, the five of these, words of affirmation, quality time, thoughtful gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. And what Gary Chapman will say is that each individual has a way that they feel loved the most. They, they like receiving love in certain ways and also love giving love in certain ways. You know, some people, just quickly go through, words of affirmation. Some people really, it's all about what you say to them. You know, 
It's about the words and it's about the tone and, and about the language you use. And, and that's huge for them, right? For some people, it's about quality time, right? It's about just, it doesn't matter what we do as long as we're hanging out together. For some people, like my wife, it's gifts, right? Thoughtful gifts. Oh, I make this joke, but it's not a joke because my wife has rebuked me many times, but I'll make it anyway. But she has the special one of expensive gifts. It's a different category of gifts. Jokes, honey. We need that conference coming up really quick, right? You know, for some people, it is gifts. My wife is a big gifts person. For some people, like myself, I'm an access service person. If I love you, I want to do something for you. That's how I'm expressing my love. And, and I feel the most loved when someone does something for me. And finally, physical touch, right? Self-explanatory. Each person is, you know, some people, like most people are sort of all of them, but some people are driven by different things, right? So the example that I use, in, you know, in my own marriage is that Mel is a big gifts person and I'm a big access service person. We learned out, we learned that over 14 years, you really need to know, right? The first gift that my wife ever bought me was when we were dating. <coughs> it was a tie. You know, I was in ministry. You had to wear a tie to the church. And it was my birthday. And we'd been dating for a whole, I don't know, been about two weeks. And it was my birthday. Great time to start dating just before your birthday. Get a present straight away. Jokes. <laughs> Scratch that from the record. Um, anyway, my wife, because her love language is gifts, she, she buys me this tie. And I'm like, wow, thank you so much. I was so appreciative of this. I was like, which Tara Cash did you buy this from? You know, because I'm a Tara Cash kind of a guy. And I look at the back and it's not Tara Cash, but it's a lot more expensive tie. And what was bad was I didn't appreciate it at all. I actually felt burdened. I was like, oh my gosh, why am I dating her? <laughs> you know, like, I was questioning like my relationship. I was like, this is so burdensome, right? Now, the flip side of it is, right, I'm an acts of service person. So there was one weekend where it was my wife's birthday, and from Friday, Saturday, Sunday, three full days, I had this amazing plan. And for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, we, we met some of our closest friends, and I organized it from, you know, months before, and, you know, for breakfast, we went and hung out with this person, and for lunch, we went and did this, and we went and got a massage, and did this, 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 this. And I thought, man, number one husband. You know, I'll win the award this year. And at the end of that weekend, I'll go, honey, did you have a great birthday? She goes, yes, I did. I said, yes. And she goes, but where's my present? I said, where's your present? This is the present. And then we got into a fight and then my number one, you know, husband went down the drain, right? Now, when in the marriage seminar, we probably will talk about this, Right? But in the same way that this can be used from human to human, I think that we can use these categories in the way to love the church. Okay, And these are some practical ways that we can learn to love the bride of Christ. Yeah? Okay, number one, words of affirmation. This is how you speak about the church. See, your words can be used to either build up the church or tear down the church. How you speak about the church to your friends and your family, they determine, right? They determine how much 
for some of you, really, how much you love the church. It just shows, right? Now, here's the question. How would Christ feel about the way you speak about his bride? How would Christ feel about the way you speak to other people about his bride? Right? We know the church is flawed. We know the church is not perfect. It's okay. We can, I'm okay to admit that. Right? But you have a choice. All of us have this choice to either use our words to build up the church, to build into the church, and not tear down the choice. And one of the ways we can love the church is to use our words. To use our words. Secondly, quality time. If you gave your spouse your leftover time, how would they feel? Right? Definitely not important. Yet for some of us, this is the way we treat the church. The way you schedule reflects on what you value in your life. This is not, you know, this is not some kind of super spiritual concept. It's just very logical. What is important to you gets priority in your schedule. Say it the other way. If it's important, it's in your diary. Right? If I have a date day with my wife, which is very important, right? Spending quality time with my wife, then it's in my diary. You know, if it's my son's birthday, it's in my diary, right? If I need to do something for the church, it's in my diary. But for a lot of us, church does not get scheduled. God does not get scheduled. Meaning what? He gets the leftovers if that. Think about your schedule. Right? Take a moment. Think about your schedule. Think about this week coming up. What's If I go to you, what are you doing this week? You can tell me exactly what you're doing this week and you will rattle them off with all the important stuff. I've got work this week. I've got to spend time with my kids this week. You know, I've got to go to the gym this week. You know, I've got to meet my friends this week. And I wonder how many of us, I wonder how many of us in our schedules will be like, I need to spend time with God. I need to go to church. I need to spend time with my brothers and sisters in life group. See, you can't fool, you can lie to yourself, but your schedules don't lie. What you schedule completely reflects what you find important. And the problem is, and I think the reality is, a lot of people, we don't give quality time to God, we give leftover time to God. And really, that's a massive reflection of the relationship that you have with God. Now, I'm not judging you. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just trying to say it as it is, right? If it's important to you, schedule. So if the church is important, if you want to love the church, schedule it. Quality time. Schedule it in, right? Consider your schedule. Number three, thoughtful gifts. In the same way as our time, our money will go to where our heart is. Simple as that. And yet for some of us, in that reality, the church gets leftovers, 
the last bits, if anything. You know, if, if, you know, when we go on holiday, when we budget in our lives, right? When we choose to go out and eat, these are all financial decisions that we're making. And the important ones you plan ahead, right? You don't, you don't go, okay, I need to go on a holiday with my family, right? Let's just get to the end of the year. Let's just see how much money is in my pocket. And then with that, we'll go on a holiday if we can. No. If you're going on a holiday, you plan ahead. You buy things ahead, you know? You, you put that money aside because it's important. Buying clothes, eating out, buying things, hanging out with friends, nice meals. You know what? All of these things are where we spend our money and yet God and the church, they don't get a mention on our budget. Why is that? Because it's not important. I'm telling you now, all you married people and all of those that want to get married later, do not buy a gift for your husband or wife in that way. Imagine that. Anniversary comes up. Happy anniversary, honey. Let me see what's in my wallet today. Let me see what I got in my bank account today. And determined on that, that's what you're going to get. No. You pre-plan. You save. You cut back on expenses because you know what you want to get, what you want to buy, how you want to spend that money. And then you, and then you get to execute that. Why? Because it's important. And yet... The church still, for so many of us, God and the church, they, they get leftovers. If that. That's why scripture says, give God your first fruits. The tithe is not the last 10% of your income, but is the first 10%. Because the first 10% represents where your first heart, your first love is. You want to love the church more? Do it through thoughtful gifts. Number four, acts of service. Now, this is my love language, so I know this well. I love my wife so much that I am happy to throw out the garbage, bring in the laundry, fold the laundry. I'll drive out and I'll bring back a coffee. You know, I'll wash the kids. I'll watch the kids so that my wife can have time off. This is the way that I love my wife. It's an acts of service. I'm an acts of service kind of guy. And in the same way, the way that we can love the church is the way that you serve. Now, as I said last week, we have a very healthy ratio of people within our church that serve the church. And I agree with them. It's a way that we love the church. And can I just tell you, where you serve or how you serve has nothing to do with your gifts and talents. You know, sometimes people go, well, I don't really want to serve because I'm not really gifted, right? Uh, that's kind of like saying in your marriage, like, I don't, I, don't, I don't really want to serve my life because I'm not really a good husband. <laughs> I'm telling you, that, that doesn't work. Kind of does in my cooking, but hmm, I'll think about that one. I don't cook. I consume and I do dishes. We have very... Uh, set roles within my family. Hmm. I'll think about that one. Uh, you know, we have so many areas where you serve in our church. You know, obviously there are some more visible areas like the welcoming team. 
um, you know, our kids team downstairs, our worship team. And then you've got areas in the background where actually people don't even know, like our multimedia team, like these slides, they don't just magically turn up, right? You know, these, even things like the offering basket, you know, like all the finances, you know, like it doesn't just magically turn up, magically count itself. They put themselves in a bank account, magically recognize, magically and all bills. passed away so I make myself upstairs and I, and I go into a room and I knock on the door and say hey she goes oh hey you know thanks for coming I said hey how are you she goes I'm okay I said do you need anything you know I said what can I do for you, you know, I feel like I needed to do something she goes um, I don't know you, you can just sit and so she was sitting on her bed and, I, and there was a chair there, so I just sort of just sat on the chair. Now, she didn't specify how long. Four hours went. And both of us sat there looking out the window because it was a two-story. And we, we just literally, like I was like pins and needles on every, every single bone and muscle and, you know, four hours. Just sat there. And in the four hours, she turns to me and she goes, Steve, just thanks for being here. That was it. I didn't need words at that time. I didn't need to go out and buy her food. I didn't need to distract her. I just needed to be present. And that's one way that she felt loved. And that's one way that we can love the church. The church is the bride of Christ, whom Jesus loves dearly, so dearly that he died on the cross. So at one point, there is an element of encouraging you to love the church because Jesus loved the church. But the flip side of that coin is you need to understand is that you're the church. And when it says that Jesus died on the cross for the church and that he loves his bride, it's that it's you that he loves. He loves you. He loves you so much that he would come down from his seat in heaven, come and die on the cross to save you, to pay the penalty for your sin so that you can have more than just this life, but life in eternity with God and life to the fullest. He loves you not in a way that we love each other, but he loves us in a perfect way, a love that we need, a love that secures us, a love that goes beyond our weaknesses, a love that embraces us even in our brokenness. A love that protects us from harm's way. So there are two things that I want you to take home tonight. Number one, because Jesus loves his bride, the church, we also need to learn to love the church. And secondly, his love for the church was so deep and you have to understand that that love was for you and I. I pray that we would be a church that does not take this for granted, that we wouldn't be a leftovers 
church, that we wouldn't love the church or give the church our leftovers, but we would give him our best because we love him and the church. And secondly, I pray that you would know that you are loved. You are loved, you are embraced, you are accepted for who you are. He loved you so much, he died on the cross for you. There's no other human that will love you in the way that God loved you. And if you get that, if you get that, that will change your life. And I pray that your lives would be changed. Let's pray.